Uh, okay, so before I go on, any any things, any questions, any uh, things to do with the retreat or the sadhana? Detail yeah. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to ask, I wouldn't mind if people have no objection if I record the uh, invocation. Yes. I'm still struggling to really get it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. In the old days, there used to be this. Yenagina Jansan, Pamakasada Bola, Yatinjavina Rutni, Padmajina Jesuzak, etc. I had no idea. I didn't do it very often myself. Well, I can't get that one out of my head. It's the need for special measures. I'm not even quite sure how it goes, actually. I think it was something Arnold had brought back from Samuel Lee. Uh, okay. yeah. What is the origin of this tune? Uh, uh, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean mystically. I heard Tibetan uh, <laughs> was chanting it. And, and I like the sort of... It, it can be a bit dirgy, can't it? I do realise that. But I like when it's done well, you can get into that very good longing kind of groove with it. That's what I like about it. Yeah. If it's done well, city. Just a couple of quick ones. One was why did you only Sanskritize the name? I don't think it exists in Sanskrit. No. It, it's the Tibetans can't pronounce Padma. They, that's so they do Pema, and and you know it's inconsistent because in the Padma in the Totring Cell Mantra we have Pema Totring Cell. I mean the Tibetans can't actually say Vajra. So very often in Tibetan transliterations of the Padmasambhava mantra, it's, they'll have benza um, instead of vajra because their Sanskrit was also in via Bengali pronunciation and the V is a B in, in Bengali and, and the er uh is an O sound, so that's where you get all that. And why yeah. is it called the White Lotus? Uh, it's the name that... Um, it's what it, it, it's for some reason it's called the White Lotus Invocation, uh, uh, at least by some Tibetans. There's a very famous commentary on it um, called White uh, by uh, uh, Mipam Rinpoche, a very very good book um, that Shambhala do, and it's a very very famous commentary on all the different levels on which that seven line prayer exists. And he calls it the White Lotus Seven Line Invocation. So there's an outer meaning, an inner meaning, a secret meeting meaning, a, a, an ultra secret meaning, and it's quite extraordinary to see the, um, you, you know, the, the the way that it's very very interesting. I think this whole area of sort of outer, inner secret, most secret, depending on your level of realization. I mean, it's quite a strong theme in Tibetan Buddhism. A very strong theme in. Um, I'm reading a very interesting book at the moment about about Shia Sufis in Iran and this whole thing of there's an outer meaning but there's also an esoteric meaning meaning, and there's an inner meaning of the esoteric. 
And what Mipam does with that famous commentary, he, he sort of basically, he, he's saying that it's sort of revealing sort of deeper and deeper mystical, um, as it were, truths and realisations, depending on the level of practice that, that you're operating on. So you can see this kind of combination, again, of devotion and, um, well, deep contemplation. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I've gone off on one, haven't I? But, yeah, I don't know why it's called the White Lotus in particular. Yeah. yeah. So you're reading through the, uh, the, the Sahara this morning. It's a little bit quiet for me. Oh, OK. Quiet my hearing. Yeah. You know. Oh, I'll try, yeah. I, I don't know, do we want it led through again tomorrow? Because I don't want to lead it every time, because I'm conscious that other people, it, it'll be intrusive to their own... Sardana, but I, I'm happy to do it one more time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do it one more time, and I'll try and <laughs> I'll try and speak loud. The trouble is, when you're meditating, you tend to go a bit inside, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll do my best. Yeah. Okay, shall we push on with the with the text? Um, so we were doing that uh, longer version of the invocation. Um, now I beg you to approach and bless this my striving in your wake. Bestow blessings on this sacred place. Grant me the four consecrations for this my sacred striving. Remove all hindrances, false guides and obstructions and grant me perfection of both sacred and a mundane kind. So, Clearly, you're begging the Guru to come to bless you so that you can strive, so that you can follow his example of following the path to Buddhahood and live the life of a Bodhisattva. Uh, it's not just for yourself. It's always understood that you're, you want all these attainments and blessings and initiations uh, for the benefit of all beings. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to remind us of that with those preliminary verses you know, and the, the, the verses that are to do with the generation of the bodhicitta. We might come to that a bit later. So first of all, bestow blessings on this sacred place. Um, sacred place. I mean, place is so important for the Tibetans. You know, the place where you practice. I mean, they're really into geomancy, you know, the, 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 the right place to practice and all that sort of thing, you know, really working all that out. Um, you know, in quite a bit of detail. I mean, we don't tend to sort of think like that, but this sort of, well, perhaps we don't, but I've, I've, I've been reflecting quite a bit, um, not as much as I'd like, on, on the importance of place lately. I read a very, very good book uh, by a Christian writer called The Blue Sapphire of the Mind, where this particular writer was bringing... Um, you know, Christian contemplative traditions to the whole area of uh, the environment and ecology and an, um, an environmental crisis even in a very, very uh, intelligent and, and sensitive way, I thought. And he just goes into this thing about the importance of place. Uh, quotes a, a Native American saying, wisdom sits in places. Uh, it's a really interesting line, you know, that, that, and talking about Native Americans and how their sort of deep knowing is connected to place. Um, and 
and you know making the point that so many people these days don't occupy a place they're kind of rootless and kind of in non-places um, you see that perhaps particularly with the amount of time spent in the in the in the in the sort of um, electronic world that's not a place you know it's really not a place I don't think and you know there's something about being rooted in place respectful of place that um, yeah I I hadn't really thought about it before but I I think perhaps the experience of of uh, lockdown uh, had quite a big effect on me in terms of the appreciation of place you know I didn't leave Padmaloka you know, for well, apart from walks up the lane for for over two years, and I think that actually did something to me in terms of um, being in one place, and for example, seeing the seasons change, and you know, really living through, you know, all of that. Um, I'm not quite sure of the point I want to make here. It just seems to be really important to to mention. Um, and I know I was thinking about Chakra Rinpoche being, you know, just wandering from place to place. And I did meet him. And he had the sense wherever he was, that was the place. Um, you know, it, it's like he didn't need to be in one place because he was the place, you know. It's like he was growing out of the earth. And this little gompa I met him in, in uh, uh, just outside Darjeeling. Yeah, we're absolutely sort of rooted in, in place. And uh, Bantu is very, very sensitive to place. Extraordinarily <coughs> sensitive to place. You just read anything that he writes and you, you get the sense of someone very, very profoundly aware of, of the environment that they're in. Uh, so the point is that you know, we need to make our place sacred. You know, it is the place where we practice and we want blessings on this sacred place. So wherever we are, we make the place important. You know, we, you know, in your home, you will have your shrine, and you know, it will be your place, um, and so on. Um, you know, and I think that's why, you know, Bounty years ago, he was very concerned that there were three places that we secured. Ariatara, he wanted that to be permanently in the movement because it was so. You know, had such a you know long you know it goes right back to the the very early days of the movement, the LBC for obvious reasons, and Papaloka. He wanted to make sure that 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 they were there because they carry so much. Um, you know, and of course we have Adistana, where you know where he you know his uh, remains are and his you know, last resting places. And I think these things are very, very important. And they're very easy, I think, to underestimate in, you know, in the kind of very mobile <coughs> world that we're in. Um, I was just having, talking to Vajra City about Gukiloka and how important that is as, as a place. Um, you know, I mean, there is a sort of sense in living here, I think, because it's... Um, Pavaloka's been here for a long time, not not just its length, but I think, but particularly Bhante's association with it, but the fact that we have the relics of Dada Rinpoche and the stupa and, you know, what what, what we've been doing with the shrine room and and so on. I mean, it is interesting when some people visit Papaloka for the first time, they're deeply, deeply moved. You know, it's like they've gone into a shrine. You know, it, it, it's very easy for us to perhaps take it for granted. But I remember a friend, a woman friend, that uh, 
I showed, I, I brought to Pavlova, and she, it, it had a huge impact on her. She asked for ordination. Uh, it, it sort of catalyzed something for her, particularly seeing the shrine room. And, and um, you know, there's the a very, very strong sense of uh, a holy place. Um, and yeah, I think we do need holy places, sacred places. Um, you know, but you know, the, the tradition is where, wherever a yogin is, that becomes a sacred place. So wherever you're invoking Guru Rinpoche, that becomes a sacred place. So you, you know, so we, I think there are special places, but you make every place special. Um, so you're entreating Padma Sambhava to remove all inner and outer hindrances, all false guides or papamitras, evil friends, uh, obstructions uh, inside and outside. You're entreating the, the guru to come and sweep all that away. And, uh, you know, Sivadra was saying some interesting things at the weekend about, um, you know, uh, you know, demons, um, you know, something that Machib Labdron said, you know, the founder of the Jur tradition, you know, a, a, a demon is whatever hinders your spiritual life. You know, uh, uh, things which seem hostile, even things which seem benign, actually might hinder your spiritual life. You know, it's interesting, one of the, the, the Tibetan names for Mara is the Lord of Limitations. That's a very expressive phrase the lord of limitations, uh, and that could manifest in, in any form. So you're asking Papa Sambhava to remove those outer and inner hindrances and so on. So you, re- you entreat and you remain open to whatever the blessings. You're also asking for the four consecrations. These are the famous four Abhishekas. I'm sure you all know what they are. Don't you? I don't need to go into those, do I? Or do I? Oh, they're going to them. Um, so the, these are actually brought out particularly in the um, Guru Yoga. They're actually mentioned. And we do take them in the Padmasambhava Sadhana, though the, the, there isn't any, um, they're not um, detailed um, in, in the liturgy. It's just the lights coming from the centre. So the 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 white light coming from the Om, that's the Kalasha Abhisheka, the vase initiation. Um, there's all sorts of associations with the vase, initi- the vase initiation to do with the purification of the body. Um, uh, perhaps the simplest way to talk about it, it sows the seed for the Nirmanakaya, that, that your spiritual practice um, um, Transforms your physical manifestation into the Nirmanakaya. That's that's the, you know, very much the tantric way of looking at things. Some texts also say they they mention our ten precepts. So the 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 Kalasha Abhisheka purifies any breaches of the first three precepts. So you can imagine that when you're doing that bit of the practice, the red R uh, transmits the Guhya. Abhisheka, the secret uh, initiation, uh, purifying speech, obviously, and creating the links or the conditions for the attainment of the Sambhogakaya, turning your 
your speech into the body of mutual enjoyment, all sorts of associations there. The deep blue hung uh, transmits the pragna abhisheka, the, the wisdom initiation, purifying mind, sowing the seed for the dharmakaya. And all together uh, is the, you know, all the lights coming. That's the gnana abhisheka, the... Um, Transcendental wisdom, is that what, the way your name translates? So, the, the, um, the initiation into transcendental wisdom, non-dual awareness, all that sort of stuff, um, purifies you know, the entire psychophysical system and um, creates or sows the seed for the creation of the Swabhavakaya, the, the uh, union of the other three kayas, the, the you know, and understand all these things, but I'm just passing on the, the tradition to you. So the whole idea of the four consecrations is that the 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 the, the guru is in, in, in the practice, the guru is what you're trying to realise is the transformation of body, speech and mind into Buddhahood. It's very interesting, once in a seminar with Banti in the retreat centre lounge, I think it was might have been Mind in Buddhist Psychology. He um, he just went through, um, in a way, the critique of the different traditions of their conception of enlightenment. So he says, well, the Mahayana critique of of the of the so-called Hinayana enlightenment is that it's it, it it's individual, you know, it's personal, it's it's for oneself uh, rather than for the benefit of all beings. But the Vajrayana critique of the Mahayana is that the Enlightenment is, as it were, and Bhante put it in single inverted, it's mental. It's, it's, to do with, it's just to do with, you know, consciousness. Whereas the Vajrayana want Buddhahood experienced in the totality of body, speech and mind. I mean, he didn't say whether or not he... Well, he, he sort of presented it as if he understood, you know, what that meant. I don't think he would... Um, you know, kind of stand on those sort of sectarian positions. I think he was more drawing our attention to the particular emphases of particular traditions. You know, and I think that's, you know, what he was trying to say was, well, you know, Tantric Buddhism is concerned with total transformation. Um, That's what it's drawing attention to. Of course, you get that in the life of the Buddha, don't you, with um, the Muchalinda episode and you know, all that sort of thing, which you can interpret as a, as a sort of transformation of, of the entire psychophysical system and all that sort of thing. But I th- I, that, that's what you're trying to open up to when you do, in, in the Padmasamava practice. It's very tactile, you know, in that practice. You know, you're really trying to, trying to you're opening up to the experience of the lights. You know, absolutely every part of your... Uh, of your body, speech, and mind—that's what you're, 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 you're doing. I mean, you get it in other practices as well, of course, in Vajrasattva, perhaps notably. But um, uh, I just thought I'd yeah, share that with you. Just interested in that, um, The bit that interests—well, I'm interested in all of it, but. The extent to which what we're doing are tantric practices, um, because that's a tantric explanation of 
doing. Yeah. And um, uh, well, maybe is that enough without unpacking that? Well, we're not. And I think I think I know where you're going. Um, yeah, because we're not a, tant- a tantric movement, are we? You know, we're yes, we're exactly. a, we're a Buddhist movement. But then we find yeah. ourselves doing these practices. Yes, yeah. I, I think the way I see it is like I said. I think Bhante, you know, he 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 draws attention. I think to particular emphases. You know, so that emphases that 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 tantric Buddhism gives in terms of total transformation, which is, you know, very very strong through. You know the symbols, the imagery, you know the colours, and all that sort of thing. It's not that it's not there in other traditions, but it's more it's drawing that out, and it's sort of finding a way. Whether or not one does the Padmasambha Vasadhana, whether or not one has any interest in anything I've just said, you're looking for that, you know, total transformation, you know, on every level. That's that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. Not good enough. It's an answer. Those questions, what you know, and I'm not asking you to to respond to this, but the question for me is, well, what does that mean to be? Because it in in Badriana, it, it kind of explains what it means. It means, you know, you, these are these things are really important. They're not just sort of emphases, and we can mm. look at it, which is probably how I would tend to relate to them. It means something more than that, mm. Mm. and. Um, I suppose with practicing sadhana, I find myself sort of stumbling into these big mm. areas. Mm. You know, I don't really know how to know. Yeah, I'm not sure I do either. I mean, it's more, it's more that I, I suppose I tend to, you, you, you know, I do the practice, yeah. and I notice things from time to time. I don't feel any need, for example, to kind of go into... I mean, some people like all this stuff, you know, all the sort of yogic body stuff, you know, the sort of chakras and the, you know, the other duty and the energy centres. I mean, some people are into all that. I've never felt sort of attracted by that. But it's more sort of noticing, how can I say... I'm not sure I could say more than that, really. I mean, I think there's this other... When we talk about sort of total transformation, is is this this whole thing of, of of, you know, which is present probably in all the traditions, but but what they call sacred outlook. You know that what you're trying to do is is. You know. Look at the world, experience the world as holy. One of you know that you know in tantric Buddhism, this is sort of said where you're recommended. Well, you, when you leave the practice, you know you 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 uh, you are you're completely identified with the deity. All appearances are the mandala of that deity. All sounds are mantra. You know, all um, thought is the sort of play of the deity. All that sort of thing. Well, I can't do that. It's no, I mean, I have my moments where. You know, I might suddenly be walking walking down the lane, and suddenly Padmasambhava is very vividly present above my head, or something like that. Um, you know, in some way. Um, but I like I, I relate to it very much the way Bhante does about well, you know, it's impossible to gain enlightenment unless you experience the world as alive. You know, because you can't practice the first precept. You know that everything that lives is holy, and you know whether or not we. We um, you do all the sort of body stuff. I think that 
emphasis is 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 really important. And of course, we can't do it in a Tibetan way, partly because I think in Tibetan Buddhism, place is so it's one of its great strengths, one of its great weaknesses. It's it's so uh, strong for them. Um, we've got to find our ways of doing it, which is not easy because we're in a highly secularized environment. Yeah. Can I just, I mean, I'm just, what you said about experiencing the world as alive, I wonder also if it's to do with actually as if you're living a myth. So you're not just taking things in terms of appearances. You're trying to see, see beyond oh, yes. appearances. And yeah. uh, you, know, you do the sadhana and it, it, it influences the way you see things for the yeah. rest of the day. Yeah. You yeah. try to relate life to the sadhana in, yeah. in between. Yeah. Well, again, Bhante talked about that. Yeah. Do you remember our Tuscany? You know, when yeah. he was, or your Tuscany, I was on the team. Yeah. You know, where he was, where he was talking about. He was asked the question: Will there be new Buddhas and Bodhisattvas in the future, sort of Western Bodhisattvas? And I mean, first of all, he said, "Well, it's quite an achievement to be familiar with, you know, the Indian and Tibetan and you know, Chinese and Japanese forms of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas." Um, but he said that he thought what, what, what happens in your practice is that after a certain time, and he seemed to be talking about himself, but he didn't say that this is what he did, that you, you, um, you live by the living spiritual principle that the Buddha or Bodhisattva is, that, that you meditate on. He gave the example of Manjigosha. So he said, what happens is, is that you live your life according to the Manjugosha principle. And he said, I don't mean by that a concept or an idea. It, it sounded more like the myth of Manjugosha. So everything you do, everything you see is in relation to that. And then when you sit down to do the sadhana, you just, as it were, allow Manjugosha to take whatever form he takes. So, I mean, I think that's another way of approaching this sort of total transformation you know you're living more and more by a living spiritual principle which you know could take you know as it were any form really yeah yeah it's just the idea that i mean i look at something like this that the year down fills the whole space you know so it's a bit like you're saying that you know the whole world is like yes yeah, yeah. Dominated by. Yeah. The, yes, that's know. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your point? Well, uh, this isn't a question. It's just, uh, so, my experience <coughs> is that uh, when I think about that myth, uh, I think very much about the Mahayana myth, mm. the Bodhisattva. Yeah. And, um, well, one of the things I'm experiencing doing the sadhana like this is the. I'm used to doing quite a lot of bodhicitta stuff at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And um, just wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Presumably the long version of the sadhana, there's going for refuge and oh, reverence yeah, and bodhicitta right, and shunyata and all that. Yes. So, yeah, yeah just... Well, when, well, that's why I included those mm-hmm. verses from the development of the bodhicitta, that, you know, because it makes it very explicit. By whatever means I shall assuredly liberate them all, therefore I shall practice the profound path of the Guru Sadhana, you know, in its um, developing and completion stages. 
by whatever means is really crucial. You're meditating on Padmasambhava to be able to use any means to liberate beings from suffering. One of the things that will come out as you do the liturgy is that Padmasambhava is very much the embodiment of Upaya, you know, the, in, in this tradition. You know, that the, he's, he, he's the figure, particularly in this tradition, associated with being able to communicate the Dharma to anybody, wherever they are, uh, you know, whatever their circumstances, you know, whatever their situation. That's what you're really trying to get in touch with when you do this practice. So it does connect, I think, very strongly to the Mahayana, the Mahayana myth. But it's this, this particular you know, ability, if you like, to to uh, connect with anybody and everybody. Um, but we'll see that as we go on, yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on. Um, then there's the mantra that, 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 that is given, that we chanted last night, Omar Hum Vajra Guru Pema Dodreng Sal Vajra Samaya Ja Siddhi Fama Hum Ah, which Bandi, when I asked him about this mantra, because uh, it's in the Guru Yoga, and he said, oh yes, that's very popular among Tibetans. Yes, chant that. Um, um, and in some sadhanas, this is the mantra used exclusively. They don't do the Vajra Guru mantra, they do this one. Um, and it's often used, um, along with the prayer that we've just looked at, to invoke the Gnana Sattva, after you visualise the guru, you, this this will sometimes be be stated that you have the figure, you do the invocation, you do the Todtrang Sal mantra, and you imagine that the Jnana Sattva is descending, the the wisdom being into the the Samaya Sattva, if you want to get into all that sort of thing. Um, and you could translate this mantra as Omahun Vajra Guru, Lotus Strength of the Rosary of Skulls appear by the adamantine bond and grant the fruit of Siddhi Ah. That's the way you could translate it. So Todrang Sel. Can you just go through that again? Um, uh, Lotus, uh, Omar Hung Vajraguru, Lotus Strength of the Rosary of Skulls appear by the adamantine bond and grant the fruit of Siddhi Ah. Um, go through this a bit. So Todd Trensal, uh, strength of the rosary of skulls. Sal is strength. Todd Tren is uh, rosary of skulls. Kapalamala. Um, yeah, I remember Banty talking about it. He seemed to really relish this idea of a rosary of skulls. And it says you, could, you have the strength of the rosary of skulls when you realise emptiness, when you realise the luminosity. Then you can be. Then you're definitely a uh, a skull mala wearer. Um, and I must say, I do like the bringing together of the lotus and the skull garland. I, I really like that. Padma and Kapala. Um, the lotus, of course, is growth and spiritual rebirth, beauty, and it's aligned very strongly with death, impermanence, uh, spiritual death. Both are present in. In Padmasambhava, so they're brought together in this mantra. Um, got a very good book upstairs, is it? About um, uh, sort of tantric, Hindu tantric practice in Bengal called um, Offering Flowers and Feeding Skulls. Very interesting book, all about Kali worship. Um, 
So you're ask, and you're asking him to hit, to appear through the Vajra Samaya, the the Vajra oath, the adamantine oath, or bond or vow. Samaya is bond, vow, oath. Uh, oath in some ways is probably a better translation. Um, his absolutely unbreakable commitment to be with us. Um, you know, you get these verses. You are the father who took the vow never to leave us in darkness. This is the age of darkness and the strength of your vow increases. You know, and this idea, you know, you're calling on your spiritual father and, and, and so on. What do puja to do with that during the, during the week? So there is this connection with, with Padmasama, the fact that you're calling out to him. You know, there is this bond. He has this bond with you. Um, he's going to come. Um, I'm, I'm conscious of, of yesterday and today and in the leading there's been a lot of emphasis on presence and on him coming and on him being there what if you don't feel that uh, as we often do what if you feel a terrible absence um, where you feel no inspiration uh, there's no signs of joy for presence where you feel lost and alone um, in unbearable darkness I mean it does happen doesn't it it does happen when uh, you don't feel the presence of the of the Yidam you know it, it does happen um, and um, and it's happened to the great practitioners to the great yogis you know, we shouldn't forget that. There's plenty of... It, it comes up in a lot of the uh, hagiographies, a lot of the accounts of, of great teachers. I mean, I talked a bit about Jigmilipa's secret autobiographies. They're filled with moments of terrible loss. You know, he's sort of elated by visions and revelations, only to have them snatched away um, when the slightest grasping arises and then sort of periods of real uh, contraction... Um, and he's left downcast and feeling terribly alone. Don't we know it? Um, but, you know, I think, I, I must say, I did find it very helpful, some of my Sufi reading and also some Christian mystical reading. These, these periods of absence are actually, you've got to treat them as part of the path. They've got to, they must be treated in that way. Um, in Sufism, they talk about in a way, two sort of you know sort of fluctuating states states of expansion, ecstasy, openings, you know revelations, and periods of contraction. Um, you know where 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 you're lying. You seem there seems to be nothing going on. Um, they even go so far as to say that that the apparent absence of the deity uh, or the inspiration might be because. They're nearer to you than you realise. You know, which is really—I mean, it's really you know, comforting. I mean, to hear that. But you're so close, you can't see. You know what's going on. Sometimes when they talk about the black light, you know, you're actually being dazzled by the light so much you can't see it as the light of revelation. And certainly in Christian mysticism, you know, the, uh, this, this same Christian writer I was talking about, I partly got the books because I like the titles. Um, the un, the insurmountable darkness of love. You know, talking about these sort of states of 
of, of the love for, you know, the deity is so strong. It's just total darkness, bewilderment, loss, deserts. So it's all seen as part of, of practice. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if it, it turned up in one of the pieces that Sabuti did with Bhante, but certainly Sabuti quoted it uh, to us. Um, when Bhante was, I think it was when Bhante was talking about this business, if you feel near to the Buddha, you're probably very far away from the Buddha. And if you feel very far away from the Buddha, you're, you're, you're nearer to the Buddha. Um, and he said that he quoted a Christian mystic, you know, the whole Christian mysticism, mystical uh, experience of absence as being a path. Absence is a path. Um, you know, very, I, I think that's very, I think that's just a very interesting area. And so we need, what I'm trying to get at, if you don't feel the presence of the figure, it doesn't mean that you're not doing sadhana. It doesn't mean that nothing is happening. I mean, there's that wonderful thing that Sobhana told us, that, that um, you know, she, she was an Amitabha practitioner and she was having a lot of difficulty in her life, finding it very difficult to do the sadhana. And uh, she went to talk to Bhante about it, and you know, about her difficulties of one kind or another. And... Um, said, should I just force myself to do the practice? And Bhante said, no, don't force yourself to do it. Practice waiting. Practice waiting. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was wonderful uh, teaching. And she went off and to a whole thing about, wrote a whole piece about waiting and what waiting meant. Um, very interesting bit of writing. Unfortunately, I don't have it anymore. Um, so what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, yes, we talk about presence, we talk about that, but if that's not going on, that doesn't mean you can't engage. It doesn't mean that you can't, as it were, be creative in what's happened. Learn, you know, in those, in those sessions. I mean, you, 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 we, we mustn't think that the Buddha's bodhisattvas you know, come at our beck and call anyway. You know, that, that's just not the way this world operates. You know, again, plenty of stories of, you know, people invoking the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, nothing turns up. And it's only when they're sort of, you know, they, they sort of give up uh, and they feel, you know, upset and so on, that, that something starts to happen. Plenty of, there's even a story in the Pali Canon about that. Um, Mark of Indusutta. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking about what you said there, right there. Um, I, I like that idea of waiting. Yeah. But also, um, very yesterday you, you said that Bhante pointed out to the importance of the, the mantra. Mm. So like, if I don't feel the presence, uh, I just carry on with the mantra. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and that experience of trying to make something happen just doesn't, just doesn't nothing mm. happen. But I really liked also the way that you did the mantra last night. Um, that sort of elongated it, it took me kind of full circle with the, the whole idea of the, the heartbeat of the mother in the womb mm. and the resonance with mm. life and Bandy emphasising that importance mm. on, on the mantra mm. Mm. that there's something you know, I think I'm just, I'm just working this out as I reflect on the children mm. of the three that there's something quite 
fundamental to life in the mantras mm. and in the, that sound that resonates. Yes, yeah. The sound of the universe, if you like. Mm. Mm. There's something what you're saying about absence makes you think of Advent. Oh yes, Bantis poem. You know, yeah. you know, all the preparation he does, but yes. the stranger doesn't come. Yeah. But then it's only afterwards and you realize something did happen. Yes. It was something. Yeah. Seems like yeah. Just that was it as the clock struck midnight? I knew he had come yeah, yeah. waiting outside and I was afraid. Yeah. Just thinking, I suppose there's a difference between longing and waiting and all oh, yeah. that. Um, that sat in an engaged context mm. or practice, mm. and that sat in a disengaged practice, as in you're not doing a lot, right, and you're yeah. kind of going on longing and waiting, and not yeah. happening, but you're actually not doing anything. Do you know what I mean? As in, there's a difference between a sort of rich sense of uh, longing and desire in the humans. As opposed to a sort of passive, mm. you know, dressing it up as a nice spiritual sort of Yeah, way. yeah, yeah, it's definitely not passive. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if you don't have the energy to, to even um, do it at all, or even do mantras or anything? Well, can you still do a sadhana? Um, well, you tell me. Well, when I asked Sangharaj to, he said, I said the the pujas, and he said only in my mind. Yeah. That's how I thought, oh. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So you can do that. Yeah. 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 But I still want to make the effort. Well, I can. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I think there's always something you can do. I think that that, that there is there is there is also that. I mean. It's interesting what you know what what Bounty answered you uh, well his answer he gave you to that because I was talking a bit with uh, Paramata um, and you know he was talking about Bounty you know when he wasn't sleeping and you know when he had very very little energy and and you know Bounty asked him uh, Paramata asked him what he did he said well I go through my practices you know I I go through my sadness but. He's not sitting up and meditating, you know, but he's doing the sadness. I mean, Paramata said he was, you know, I was asking Paramata a bit about, I don't know if you've been into his bedroom and just on the inside of the door there's uh, a black tanker of the three Nyingmapa protectors. And you know, on his little shrine there's uh, a text of, that he received from Dujong Rinpoche, the offering prayers to these fierce protectors. And Paramata told me he was he was doing that sometimes as well, just again silently, you know, worshipping, you know, these fierce protectors. So there is something you can do, even if you're, if you have no energy, if you, you know, you're not very well. I mean, even just to sort of turn your mind in that direction, even to practice some awareness of, that dimension of things. There's always something you can do. Yeah, you don't have to do a great long, elongated sadhana or ritual or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the little hook if you just in the hook. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, shin, shin practitioners, they set up at the end of their bed, don't they, when they're sick? Mm-hmm. On, the, on their bed, they have a great big picture of Amitabha in the Pure Land mm-hmm. so that they can see. You know, so, you know, they, they, they've got that constant awareness of Amitabha in the Pure Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arya Bandi told me that he did, he, he, he did a sort of abbreviated Pamasam practice where he just said Om Ah Hum, Om Ah Hum. Yeah. He said he found it incredibly effective. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. You, you, you talked to him about it, didn't you? I can't, well, the, I mean, in the uh, Tarpe de Lam, uh, the, the, the opening meditation is to a, a lama, the lama that we'd seen in as Padmasambhava, and that's the mantra you say, Omar Hum, over and over. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember teaching that term. I might have. Yeah. Try to do something. Yeah, anything. Yeah. This thing as well with this thing of absence, that um, it's a lot about attitude as well. I think uh, it can be an attitude of like, demanding something from the Yidam. Yeah. I find it quite moving to think of just kind of sitting there and almost in service of the Yidam and whatever comes doesn't really matter. It's just about kind of being there and mm. kind of praising. Mm. 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 Well, I mean, I think I think all these stories of that you get in the tradition that we used to love so much, you know, of, of well, you know, who are you to receive a teaching and a blessing from a teacher? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not ready. You know, you're going to have to do some hard yards before there's going to be any kind of revelation. You know, you've got to do lots of, you know, lots of work. You know, lots of lots of humble activity. I mean, you know, going back to, you know, saying something against myself. You know, my attitude to Bhante. You know, wanting him to give me special teachings. And I mean, I remember the Mind and Buddhist Psychology seminar was absolute hell for me. I mean, such a fantastic material. I've hardly gone back to it because my actual personal experience is one of. Ten days of, of unre- unrelenting dukkha, you know, for a number of factors. Partly the text was very demanding, but also because I just found Bhante, well, for a start, you know, this, this sort of relentlessness of teaching. I mean, you know, like two and a half hours in the morning, hour and a half in the afternoon, or two hours in the afternoon, like four hours sometimes study a day going through this text. You know, and Bhante just in full kind of liner mode, you know, going through going through the Dharma Ocean. You know, and it's like, I'm, I've just got water wings, you know, in, in, in the ocean, I'm drowning. And I thought I was, you know, I thought I was hot stuff, you know, dharmically. Not only that, you know, he promised to give me this sadhana, I mentioned that, and I kept kind of hanging around him, asking for him, he just kind of ignored me. And at the end, he kind of handed me a bit of paper with three lines on it. <laughs> and um, and you know I mean but but actually it was all I mean at the time I didn't understand what was going on actually I'm really glad it happened it did teach me something you know about about you know which which is sort of you know you learn over the years you know we we set up we do these sadhanas we think they're going to give us a lot you know quickly but it's not like that. You, 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 you know, you get shown all sorts of things and you don't even know what lessons you're learning until perhaps long after the event. So, I mean, I, I mean it's interesting, lately with the Padmasambhava Sadhana, 
Um, it's just these things happen spontaneously. I sort of feel like uh, it's not so much in a blue sky. It's more like I'm in a sort of cave. It's, you know, I like this phrase, the cave of the heart. And I've actually sort of stumbled across a teacher. And, and, and sort of what needs to happen is that, I, you know, how would you be with a teacher? How, how, would you, how would you be? You know, what would it be? You know, a bit like, you know, where are you going to see both? How would I be? You know, I wouldn't be sort of, you know, expecting all sorts of things. It would be, you know, I'd, I'd be reverential. I would be, you know, really careful about how I moved and I'd be very mindful and very aware and, 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 and so on. And I think that's the sort of feel that we need to bring to these figures, you know, that... that 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 you you you're you know you're you're there to learn, um, and the lessons won't always be very clear, you know. Because one of the things I think I, I, I was reading a very interesting thing the other day about about bewilderment. Again, this is a positive bewilderment. It's again from sort of Sufi reading, and how important a, a state it is. Not bewilderment in the sense of you know, the negative state of Brunty, you know, the, the, which is a bit like Moha, you know, that kind of unknowing, but in the sense of um, your categories are being defied, your expectations are being defied. I mean, it happened a bit this morning, in, not in the first sit, in the second sit, when I was doing Padmasambhava Mantra, I, I got into this funny state where I, I couldn't locate myself or the figure and I don't mean, you know, I was just sort of... And I was confused, but it was a good confusion. It was a good bewilderment. Um, you know, I was, I was being sort of teased out of my categories, and I think that sort of thing can happen. You know, we, we want things to fit into our ideas and grids of how they should be. They will be defied. Um, they will be defied, I think, and they should be defied. You should be tripped up. Yeah. I find there's a shift in attitude as well. Mm. Like I notice the difference between me on retreat and me when I'm not on retreat. And one of those things is shrine keeping. Mm. Like I, I have a much stronger connection. Yes. Shrine. Yeah. If only I did that when I was at home. Yes, that's right. If only yeah. I cleaned my shrine every day. Yeah. And changed the water offerings and yes. flowers. I'm surprised. I sort of assumed you did that stuff. <laughs> I do some of it. I do some of it. But you know, there is. You know, if, yeah. if, if if you're looking for the connection and you're not sure, maybe look at are, are we doing enough? Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Simple things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as well. I'm jumping around a bit. I remember in India. Uh, perhaps a bit relates to this whole thing of what I was saying about mantra, the, the private ordination. At the first ordinations in India, well, the first, the, the second batch uh, was there with Lokamitra. And, you know, Bhante ordained everybody and, you know, gave different practices, mostly Shakyamuni, but also Manjigosha and Tara and Pragnaparamita. And um, Lokamitra was. You know, I was just sitting in on the order meeting with Lokamitra and Bhante, and um, Lokamitra said, "Well, you know, what? How do we, how do we help people practice these 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 practices?" And Bhante said, "Well, first thing you must make it clear to them 
these are not like mindfulness of breathing and metabhavna. They're not sort of methods. This is a different kind of practice. You know, the, you know so, and I think what he was trying to sort of open up, look, you can't just, you know, fit them in, as it were. You've got to change your life in relation to them. That seems to be what he was, he was saying. You're meditating on, you know, the images of the, of the transcendental. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, perhaps we should move on. Um, we're not getting very far. So the next line is salutation to the lotus body of blazing light. Salutation to the lotus body of blazing light. Uh, this is um, actually, there, there is the Sanskrit of this, Padma Basa Jvala, Padma Basa Jvala, or lotus shining light. And it's uh, another name of Padmasambhava used in this uh, particular liturgy of, of practices. Um, Padma Basa Jvala, Padma Basa Jvala, or Lotus Shining Light. Um, Jvala, J V A L A, Jvala. Padma Basa Jvala. Um, so, Basa is light, so Lotus Light, if you can imagine such a thing, something soft and beautiful. Remember Bhante's wonderful description of the red light in his vision of Amitabha soft and brilliant and luminous beyond compare, incredibly refined. And Jwala is a blazing fire. So Padmasambhava is soft and blazing. He's, he's both. He's soft and blazing. So salutation to the lotus body of blazing light, which is free from origination, destruction and change. So this gets us a bit uh, trying to evoke the real nature of Padmasambhava. He's unoriginated, he's unconditioned, he's never destroyed, and he's unchanging, or rather he's free from change and no change. Um, so the, the, the thing to get into here, if, if you were reciting this, is a state of wonder again. You know, this is this is what you're doing with with, with Padmasambhava. And again, you could you could, you know, I I think this is one of the phrases I particularly liked from this this cycle: salutation to the lotus body of blazing light, which is free from origination, destruction, and change. I found that absolutely thrilling. You you you're, you're imagining the figure, and you're saying, well, they're unoriginated, um, they're, uh, they're 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 indestructible. Um, they're beyond change and no change. Very, you know, very mysterious. And uh, um, well, it does things to me. It might not do that to you. Uh, perfect in activity, saving all living beings by means of self-existent com- compassion. So perfect in activity. So it's bringing out the sort of you know the the, the um, all-performing wisdom, infallible success. Uh, the enlightened activity, the four karmas, that's the enlightened activity, you know, of attraction, um, attra- uh, pacifying, attracting, uh, destroying, enriching, you know, which the Vishvapani symbolises, uh, the Vishva Vajra symbolises <laughs> that Vishvapani is holding this week. Um, so Padmasandhava is the embodiment of the four activities, perfect in, in activity, 
saving all living beings by means of self-existent compassion. Uh, self-existent swabhava or sahaja, spontaneous. Um, so again, a compassion which doesn't have a, a source. You get this a lot in the perfection of wisdom, don't you? With the description of the bodhisattva in the perfection of wisdom. He, he, he gives unsupported. You know, his giving is, is not supported. It's completely uh, free of any... Uh, conditions whatsoever so uh, therefore it doesn't have any expectation that expectation doesn't come into it it's natural it's natural spontaneous activity you know what Bhante said sorry Swabhava Sahaja was the other word I think I said Sahaja, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's another word for spontaneous. Okay. Did Sahaja? I? Sahaja. Swabhava, Sahaja. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you remember when um, Banti talked about the um, five aspects the first time on the uh, Precious Garland seminar? Surita's ordination retreat two pages of brilliance um, you know the, the you know where he talked about you know first time we talked about integration positive emotion spiritual death rebirth etc but he uses this wonderfully um, loose in a sense in his language using different words but he talks about the end of that path um, as the part it's nishtak Completion or um, uh, ashaksha, no more learning, and uh, he says it's the path of spontaneity uh, or spontaneous compassionate activity. And then he told us what that is: you do what needs to be done. That's the way he explained it, which you know, slightly deflating, but if you think about it, it's actually very profound. I mean, it means there's nothing between you and what needs to be done to actually bring about somebody's liberation. Uh, it's, and it's natural activity. That's the end of the path. So this is Padmasambhava, saving all living beings by means of self-existent uh, compassion. What yeah. was that Precious Garment. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, it, it's amazing, you know, all the sort of expositions that have come out of all that. But the initial... It's a proper termer, you know, in a sense, because, you know, he just comes in and just says, well, what are the elements of the spiritual life? And he just comes up with these five things. And, uh, you know, and it's really interesting, you know, when he talks about, um, I was very struck when he talked about what we call usually spiritual death and rebirth. He, he talks about it as the stage of vision. Um, it's the vision of things. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's vision into Shunyator, or as uh, Herbert Gunter calls it, um, the open dimension of being, which means that, that, that it's, um, there's unlimited openness in the direction of reality. Nothing closed down. So, yes, it is also spiritual death. So he uses vision, openness, uh, and death to describe that spiritual death, to describe that. Not just one term, 
I think that's a big feature of Dante's teaching. You know, the, the, the array of words he can use to describe a particular stage. I think that's quite... Because it was a big argument, should it be vision or spiritual death? I can remember an argument happening in the college meeting about that. I think, well, it could be... It's all, they bring out different things. They draw out, you know, different elements. So the stage of rebirth is the stage of transformation. Anyway, I'm going off on one. So we're with compassion. Um, I look a lot of the five paths actually the old Tibetan religion. So the path of path of seeing, path of vision, is the equivalent to you know to stream entry and, and spiritual death. So yes. Maybe that's it, or you got it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, he does. He says it comes from the five paths, which yeah. of course has Indian origins. It goes back to Vasubandhu, um, Abhidharma Kosha. Anyway. Um, so this is really bringing out the compassionate nature of, of Padmasambha. Don't forget that uh, Bhante, um, you know, when he talks about Padmasambhava in his review of the life and liberation of Padmasambhava, it's one of those places where he talks about what we've come to call the suprapersonal force. He says he speaks of Padmasambhava as a transpersonal spiritual force, coterminous with the whole of the Dharma, uh, with the particular activity of transforming the whole mass of destructive and demonic forces. Really, really interesting. That's self-existent compassion. Um, you'll have to go and look it up in alternative traditions. The review, the exact words, but. He says the impression one gets of Padmasambhava is of a transpersonal spiritual force coterminous with the whole of the Dharma, the history of the Dharma, which has the particular activity of transforming the whole mass of the destructive and demonic forces. It's something like that. It's better than that, of course, because Bhante wrote it. But that's the sort of flavour of it. That's you know, the compassionate activity. Yeah. And raining down perfections like wish-granting gems. Raining down perfections like wish-granting gems. Perfections is a translation of cities. Um, attainment cities, sometimes uh, Tibetan lamas. If you read this big biography of Jamyan Kensi Rinpoche that, that, that was out recently... Um, uh, Janin Kensi sometimes describes doing a particular ritual and the city would come. The city would come, you know, the, the attainment would come. Um, it seemed to be used in that sort of way, that there's some sort of showing, some sort of uh, intuition, some sort of uh, revelation in, in doing the practice. Sometimes the city wouldn't come. So you're asking for the cities to come. And these cities, of course, fulfil all wishes um, in the end because they fulfil the ultimate wish, Buddhahood. Buddhahood fulfils all wishes. How are you doing? Shall we? Are we tiring? Are we flagging? Shall we stop? Go on for a little while longer. I was going to say, how, how, um, how can you invoke urgency when you've got no energy? How can you invoke urgency when you've got no energy? Well, how can yeah. you push on yeah. when you really don't want to push on? Yeah. Or your body's saying, I can't push on. Yeah. 
what you need. But haven't you got to work more sort of subtly? Haven't you got to work more with, with if, if, if you've got no energy in your body, haven't you got to work much more subtly with, with your mind, with your consciousness? You know, so it's not, it's, and, and haven't you got to try and find that sort of, you know, that, 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 that sort of quality of awareness? I mean, the main thing seems to be mindfulness, doesn't it? Mm. Awareness. You know, I mean, what, what did Vanti say, you know, when he couldn't sleep, you know, all those nights of sleeplessness, he realised that when he had no, very little energy, I think he said something like, um, it doesn't matter if I can't sleep, what matters is that I practice the Dharma. Mm. And in a sense, even that having that thought is turning your mind mm. to the Dharma. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? So. You know, maybe if you, you feel you just don't have the kind of energy you once had, you know, it's a matter of, well, you know, what's important is I find a way to practice. In how, even asking the question, well, how can I practice when I don't have energy is the beginning of practice. Do you see what I mean? He said, uh, can you be aware? Is that what he said to yeah, you? Yeah, and I said, yeah. Well, yeah. and then he said, well, you're practicing the Dharma then. Yeah, there you are. You've you've learned from the master. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Great. So after these praises, you make offerings. So there's a then you, you naturally you make offerings. You want to give beautiful things to Padmasambhava, making him welcome. Uh, some of the verses of offerings are very extensive with the outer, inner, secret, most secret offerings, Amrita offerings, and so on and so forth. Um, I won't go into all, all that. But the mood is to welcome and to offer everything from the state of deep samadhi. So the verse goes, all things worthy of offering, inner and outer, animate and inanimate, generated in imagination or arising spontaneously, I offer in the samadhi of great equanimity to the conqueror union of all the rare and precious jewels. Beautiful flowers for you to see, aromatic incense for you to smell, clear light of lamps for your eyes, special perfumed water for your body, delicious food for you to taste, Melodious symbols for your heart. I offer mudras and dance. I offer song and melodious praise. Um, so you offer. You, this is the, the first thing you do. You make uh, the figure as welcome as you can. It's interesting what you were saying, Stanishrata, about you know the effect of shrine keeping, you know, on your spiritual practice. I, mean, I think that whole area is very, very underestimated in our practice. I mean, you know, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, I mean, the, the offering sections are very, very extensive. You know, you really make a lot of effort to make beautiful things. Very, very tactile. Um, you know, again, your whole body involved in, in the activity, everything being offered up. We don't do that so much, perhaps. Some people do. Um, but really taking a lot of care, a lot of attention over the offerings. I just think of Padmapani at Buddhafield, you know, 
yeah. every Buddhafield festival. Yeah. He spends months making painting a tanker mm. that's like Pramgao Pramita and it's like you know, it's about ten foot wide and three foot high. Mm. And then just everything the way the shrine is, it's just mm. absolutely stunning, you know. Yeah. And that is all for that yeah. four days and stuff. And yeah. It has a massive effect. Yes, yeah. That's great. One thing I think I can start with is that Puja and Sardin aren't different things. They're actually they aren't, they aren't different things. No, no. So yeah. I, think I usually do a Puja at the start of my Sardin. Yes, yeah. Just yeah. go through verses. Yeah. Very good thing to do. But, yeah. you know, I think for me, you, you need to do something like that. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have to be verses, but it's got to be something about getting into a devotional yeah. state of mind as part of the practice. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think we'll stop there. I think we're at a natural break. We're going to come on to the praises which, which go into the nature of Papasambhava more.